Would you like to have more of God's power in your life? Yes. Okay, that's Well, I don't. Okay, we're done, and uh, God bless you. Yeah, this is, you can uh, speak here. Uh, okay, would you like to have, let's, let's, sometimes you need a do-over, you know what I mean? Uh, would you like to have more of God's power in your life? Yeah. Okay, good, good. Would you like to have more of God's influence in your life so that you can impact your world? Yeah. And would you like to have more of God's impact so that you can change your community. Okay. Now, good. Uh, Well, faith uh, is what we're going to talk about this morning. And folks, if if you don't have God's power in your life, then you're just going to go through your entire life depending upon your own energy. And you're not going to make as lasting of an impact in our world. In fact, the reason why many of you are sitting there right now and you're worn out and you're exhausted and you're tired is because you're trying to do everything in your life in your own power rather than God's power. And God honestly doesn't want you to go through life like that. Living your life in your own power, it's kind of like having your laptop computer and you get it unplugged and the laptop's your life and you unplug it and then you just choose that your own energy, your own power will get you through life. But eventually what happens to a battery on a laptop computer is that it drains and it finally gets to a point where it says this, Plug in or find another power source. Your battery power is low, 1%. If you don't plug in your laptop soon, it will shut down. And some of you test it, don't you? You're like, I don't think it really... No, it does. It shuts down. And that's why your life is like if you try to go through it with your own power. you got that kind of energy. But if you turn to God... You have this kind of energy. Anybody know what that is? That is the Three Gorges Dam in China. It is the largest power plant in the world, and it produces enough power to take care of millions and millions of Chinese people. And so you finally come to a point where you've got to make a choice. Are you going to go through life with your own power that eventually is going to fall away, or are you going to plug in to God's power? And you can run your life either way. It's up to you. Now, you might be asking, okay, well, nice illustrations, Chris, but what's the secret? I mean, I am tired. I am worn out. I've been working a lot of hours, stressed with kids. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, What's the secret? Well, the secret is really not that hard to know. It's just it's hard to apply. And the secret is is that you need more faith. You've got to have more faith if you're going to have more energy. And so what I want us to look at are 
three ways that you can grow in your faith today. Three kind of action statements about faith. Here's the first one. Faith is is, uh, willing to take risk. Faith is being willing to take risk. There's an old adage, and I want to see if you can complete it for me. It goes, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You cannot fulfill the dream of your life. You cannot fulfill the call on your life. You cannot fulfill any goal that you're setting in your life if you don't take risk. It might be a health goal that you had. Some of you had some early on, and now you've kind of gone away, and so you've got to come back. You've got to say, I'll have some faith to do this. You've got to have a financial goal or a spiritual goal. But there's something in your life that's going to cause you to take a risk or you're just going to exist. You either take a risk or you exist. It's up to you. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, if you don't take any risk in your life with goals and dreams, then it's probably not godly goals or godly dreams. If it doesn't cause you to take a risk and say, there comes this point where I've got to depend upon God or it's not going to happen, then you're probably not risking that much. You're not growing that much in your faith. In fact, I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, there's a certain way that you spell faith. I want to see if you remember things, okay? So I'd like you to turn to the person beside you and spell the word faith. Go ahead. You spell faith, folks, R-I-S-K. Your elementary teachers lied to you, you know? We have some people in education, I'm sure they're just like, would he quit saying that, you know? But R-I-S-K, that's how you spell faith. And the early Christians knew about faith. In fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and Acts, which talks about the early church, this is what he said about the early Christians. He said, they risk their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever had to take any risk for the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you taken any risk lately for God? Any of you uh, growing up ever had a pet turtle? Anybody? Okay, we're all the geeks because I had one too. I didn't know you were supposed to feed that thing and it died. But uh, never had a turtle after that. I don't know why. Um, But a turtle only makes progress if it sticks its neck out. If a turtle stays within its shell, it can't move. It cannot progress. Only if... It sticks its neck out. And for some of you, for far too long, you have just been in your shell and you need to stick your neck out with what God wants you to do. Don't be afraid. Where does the fruit come? Is it at the trunk of the tree? Or is it out on the limb? You've got to go out on the limb if you want to see the fruit. You see, the problem is, is that many of us are so scared of failure, including myself, that we just don't try. But the longer I've tried and the longer I've failed, this is what I've learned. 
Failure is no big deal. Failure is no big deal, folks. So what? You failed. You know what you do? You get back up the next day and you say, you know what? I'm going to try again today. We never call failure failure anyways, do we? We call it an education or an experience. Because you don't know what works right until many times you find out what doesn't work right. When you take risk, you're going to fall sometimes. But that's when your faith grows. There's an example of this in the uh, Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel uh, is a book that was written to a group of Jewish people uh, who had been taken away from Israel and who were taken to a foreign country as slaves, captives. They were captive in this uh, place called Babylon. Uh, Babylon uh, today is in Iraq. And so all the people from Israel were, were held captive and they were taken and placed in Iraq for 70 years. They were held against their will, slaves. Now, the guy at the time uh, who was the head of the Babylonian Empire was a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Any of you looking for kids' names? You know, we try to help you out there. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know. Uh, But he made a rule, and he said this. He said, every time that you hear this bell ring, I want everyone to turn to this big, gigantic, 70-foot statue of me because I'm God. And I want you to bow down and worship. But there were three guys who were like, man, I ain't doing that. You going to do that? I'm not doing that. And they refused to do it. They said, we are going to obey the one true God and not this phony idol of you, Neb. Now, the three guys were named this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, when my uh, dad used to teach us, I was a PK, a preacher's kid, and when my dad would teach on this, I always thought, he said, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. And I was like, man, I don't get that. But these are real people, folks. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, brought these guys in the palace and he said, all right, boys. He said, uh, I hear that you're not bowing down to the statue of me. And if you don't bow down to the statue of me, I'm going to put you in a fiery furnace. It's a furnace that is seven times hotter than any furnace in the world. You are going to be on the new menu at Kentucky Fried Chicken, Crispy Critters. You know? They're going to fry them up. And they look at each other and they said to one another, we're not going to do it. Look at their response in Daniel. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us From your hand, O king. But even if he does not. Some of you should underline that. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods 
or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You see, faith, folks, real faith, does not demand a guarantee of a miracle. It simply says, God, we believe you to do this. We believe that you're going to bail us out on this. We're trusting you. We're going to worship you. We're going to follow you. But even if you don't, God, it will not change us for putting you at the top priority in my life. Faith doesn't demand a miracle. Faith says this. Faith says, you know what? I believe, God, that you want to do this in my life. Maybe it's to start a business. Maybe it's to lose some weight. Maybe it's to get married. Maybe it's to adopt a child. Whatever it is, God, I'm believing that you're going to do this. And I've prayed about it, and I have asked other people to come around, and I feel like this is what you want me to do. But God, even if you don't do it, I'm still going to believe in you. In other words, these three guys were saying, we're willing to go God's way, even if the rest of the world says, you're dumb. Even if it doesn't work, we're willing to risk failure. In fact, we're willing to give our very lives. And that's what faith is. This week, uh, I uh, got a uh, text uh, message from a lady in our church. She's in her mid-30s, had uh, been married, gone through a tough divorce, and uh, was single for a lot of years. And then she just recently got remarried, just had a new baby. And uh, she and her husband are growing in God, and it's really cool to kind of watch. And uh, she's on maternity leave right now. And she was talking about how she's kind of stressed with life in general. And so she sent me this. She said, can you pray for me? I'm struggling on whether or not I should go back to school. She had been at Ball State at one time, but then she had two kids and a marriage started struggling and she just dropped out. And this is what my response was. I'm praying for you. I think it is a great idea to go back to school. You are very intelligent and I have a feeling God wants to use you in even greater ways. I'm teaching on Faith Sunday and I just want to encourage you to go for it. No response. Didn't hear anything for like 24 hours. I'm thinking... Oh, man, I screwed her up, you know. But 24 hours later, this is the response I got. Good morning. I just wanted you to know I reapplied to Ball State. Keep the prayers coming. I know it will be a challenge. Now, this is the thing, folks. I don't know if she's going to be on the dean list or if she's going to flunk out. But this is what I'm so proud about, uh, her decision. She chose to take a risk. She said, God, I believe that this is what you're wanting me to do, to go back and get some education in my life. And so I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do this. But God, even if it doesn't work, I'm still going to follow you. Friends, God honors that kind of faith. Even if it doesn't work out, God, I'm going to follow you. Because God is more interested in your faith than he is your success. God is more interested in your character than He is your success. Now, back to these three guys. They're getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace seven times hotter than any furnace of its day. In fact, they gave this study that it was so hot that the guards didn't go up and like throw them in. They had to kind of just let them walk in to push 
the men from a long way off. Now, as they're walking up to this fiery furnace, do you think they were afraid? Scared to death! You're going to a furnace, dude! You're going to be crispy critter number four, you know? And they walk up and they say, God, we're just trusting you to do this. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Rather, it is moving ahead in spite of your fear. And once they walked in, this is the cool part of the story. Some of you should read Daniel. The cool part of the story is he, they walk in, and pretty soon the Scripture says that they see a fourth person. The king goes, well, I thought there were only three that went in, and now I see four. And the fourth one, one of the first prophetic images that we have of Jesus Christ himself coming as the Son of God, he goes in, he's with them, and they all walk out together. And you might say, man, that's a weird story. I'm not sure I believe it. Well, this is why. You don't have to worry about those three guys because they did their thing. But this is the thing that I have for you. Folks, do you ever, when you're heading to the fiery furnace, do you get so afraid that you pull back? That you say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Don't ever, ever, don't ever not do something because you're afraid. Don't ever say, I'm afraid because if I do this, it's going to take some risk or this dream or this goal. Because when you do that, when you give into that, you give into Satan's biggest tool in his toolbox, and it's this, the fear of failure. I mean, all of us have it. We we have a fear that we're going to fail. A wise biblical phrase says this, the fear of human opinion disables. You know why many of us have that kind of fear? It's not because of ourselves, but we're afraid of what everyone else is going to think. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work right? What if I look foolish? What if I look dumb? What if I feel rejected? When we started this church, folks, I mean, every single person I talked to said, you'll never grow a church in a downtown, uh, economic, deprived city, so don't do it. You're going to look like a fool. And for two years, folks, I sat on the bench, watched everything go by, got people together, but then said, no, I don't think it's going to work. I sat on the bench. Two years of my life, I lived in fear before I finally said, God, I'm trusting you. Even if it doesn't work, I'm going for it. And some of you need to take that step in some areas of your life. You see, the moment, folks, that you start worrying about what everyone else thinks, you're in deep water. I mean, the game is over. You're relegated to the bench. You cannot serve God and be constantly worried about what everyone else thinks. So you've got to move forward. So how do you get rid of failure? That's what you really want to know, right? How do I get rid of this thing? Well, two ways. The first one is you've got to redefine failure. You've got to redefine failure. Failure is not reaching your goal. Failure is not reaching your goal. Failure is not having a goal at all. Failure is not... Failing to hit your target, failure is not even having 
a target. Failure is not falling down. Everybody falls down. You fall down, I fall down, everybody falls down. Failure is refusing to get back up. You're never a failure, folks, until you say, I quit. The worst sentence in the English language, I quit. So if you're going after a goal, if you're going after a dream that God honors to love someone, to love other people, you're not a failure no matter what the results are at the end. In fact, I, I remember a pastor telling me when I was struggling, I'll, I'll, he said, what if you do everything and it fails totally? Do you think God will love you any less? No. And folks, if God isn't going to love you any less, then whose other opinion do you need? Babe Ruth, maybe the greatest baseball player of all time, he, redef- he redefined failure this way. He said, never let the fear of striking out keep you from taking a swing. Isn't that a good... He struck out more than anyone else in the history of baseball, but he hit more home runs during his era as well. I love that quote. Here's the second way to get rid of failure. You never compare yourself to anybody else. You just don't compare... You've got to redefine it, and then you just don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't compare your wife... To Joe's wife. Oh, Joe's wife. Boy, she's nice. Boy, if it was Joe's wife, she'd be cooking dinner tonight. If it was Joe's wife, boy, she would be hot in the bed. I know. He tells me. If it was Joe's wife, uh, you know, he would be, uh, she would be, uh, you know, a lot more encouraging than what you are right now. Guess what? You don't have Joe's wife. You have your wife. That's who God gave you. Don't compare your husband to anybody else. I mean, he doesn't know how to do anything. He is just, I mean, he weighs me down. He's not a hard worker. Put, fill in whatever the blank you want. Don't do it. Don't compare your job. Don't compare your kids. Don't compare your hairstyle. Some of you, it doesn't matter anyways, but you know. Don't compare your clothes, don't compare your house, don't compare your cars. Why not? Because this is the reason, folks. You will always find someone who is further ahead of you in your mind, who's more successful, who's better, and guess what? You're going to be discouraged. Ah, man, I'm just not as good as so-and-so. But the other thing is when you start comparing, you look at people who you think are behind you, and you think, well, I'm a whole heck of a lot better than Chuck Mock. You know what I mean? I mean, I may not be very good, but when it comes to celebrate recovery, that dude's messed up, you know. Chuck Mock, celebrate recovery. He's our ministry leader. Hurts, habits, hang-ups. Why would you want to go through another moment of your life with any of that? 7 o'clock Thursday. But that's the problem. We compare people who are better than us, or we compare ourselves to people who aren't quite as bad, and one of two things happen. Either we get discouraged or we get a lot of pride in our life and we think, oh, wow, look, I'm all world. I'm the man. I'm the woman. God says, don't do that. Don't compare yourself. Because when you do, you're always going to be in that quandary. Someone who you think is better, someone not. I was thinking about it this week. You know, God actually has not called me to be the best pastor in the world. I'm far from it anyway. 
He didn't call me to be the best pastor. He called Chris Bunch to be the best pastor that he can be with his talents, with his gifts, and the experiences in his life. And God, in the same way, has called you not to be the best husband in the world, the best wife in the world, the best parent in the world. He simply wants you to be the best husband or wife or parent or person that he's uniquely wired you to be. You see, folks, one day all of us will stand on Judgment Day before a holy God. And he's going to evaluate our life. But he's not going to say, uh, well, how do you compare to this person? Or how do you compare to that person? What was your amount of money that you made? He's going to say, did you use the talents that I gave you, the abilities that I gave you to grow? Did you trust me? You're not called to be the best in the world, folks. You're simply called to be the best that God has uh, created you to be. One of my favorite scriptures says this. Let's read this out loud together. With God, all things are possible. Let's read it again. With God, all things are possible. Some of you should memorize that this week. With God, all things are possible. In my office, there's a... uh, photo that hangs on my wall, and when I first bought it, it said this, believe in yourself, all things are possible. Little kid sitting on a basketball, can't see it very well, maybe if you see it from an angle, but he's looking up at a goal, and uh, my father-in-law got that for me. I put it up in my office. And many times I look at that and I feel really encouraged. Yeah, you know, uh, all things are possible if I believe, I believe in myself. This is the thing that I think is a crock about this particular poster, though, is that I don't always believe in myself. Oh, some of you have such high self-esteem. Oh, I do. (laughs) You ever do that? You just don't believe? You just don't believe in yourself. So I had to take a post-it note, and I put God where yourself is, and now it reads this. Believe in God, all things are possible. And that's a true statement. When we believe in God, all things are possible. In fact, Jesus is the one who said that. Now, if Jesus was saying that, then why wouldn't we want to? With God, all things are possible. So, you've got to let go of your failure. Because anything you're attempting to, for God in love and faith. God says it's a good thing. And I can use that for good. Let go of your fear. Here's the second step in growing in your faith so that God's power can be more evident in your life. And it's this. Faith is expecting God to bless and use me. Faith is expecting God to bless and use me. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, was considered one of Jesus' closest friends. He had a powerful faith. He had an expecting kind of faith. In other words, he expected God to bless his life. This is what he wrote to the church in Philippi. He writes a whole bunch of letters to churches, and this was one of them. He says, I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything, but that I will have the courage now to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. Paul says, I expect God to bless me. 
So did David. David's considered the only man in the Bible who had a, uh, was a man after God's own heart. Greatest king in the Old Testament. And this is what he says. I believe I shall enjoy the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Folks, everybody who was ever used in the Bible, why were they used? Because they expected God to use them and bless them. Everybody God blesses is because they expect God to bless them. Because expecting God to move is an act of faith. Faith is not already knowing the answer. Faith is believing that God's going to take care of the gap. You know why God has used me at different times in my life? Because I expected Him to use me. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. Not because of what I've done, but because of what He's already done. I simply put my faith in Him, and God's grace shows the results. I can tell you exactly what God's going to do in your life in terms of blessing. Exactly what you expect Him to do. If you just want a little bit, you're only going to have a little faith. If you want Him to bless a whole bunch of your life, you'll have a lot of faith. Not more, not less. If you, just, if you study Scripture, folks, over and over again, you find that the times that God moves down from heaven on earth and does miracles in people's lives is because they believed it to happen. And for some reason, if you don't feel like things are happening in your life, it's probably your relationship with God and the fact that you're not stepping out in faith in some ways that He could bless that. You see, faith is getting God's dream, His goal, and being willing to take a risk, to head in that direction. And then you expect Him. You say, God, I'm expecting you to bless this, to use this. Now, I need to be careful on this because this is what happens sometimes with televangelists. They'll get on television and they'll tell you, well, you can receive God's blessing in your life. Send me 1099 and I'll send you a tissue that I blew my nose in and then you'll be good. You know what I mean? That's not how you get faith, folks. You get faith by you getting on your knees and connecting directly with God. You don't have to go through someone else. You have your own faith based upon what you believe in Him. And the key, folks, to faith is that you have enthusiasm. You have enthusiasm. This is what I've learned in life. Nothing great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. Nothing great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. Uh, any of you know who this is? Who? Tigger! I bounce, I bounce, I bounce, I bounce. I'm Tigger, I bounce. Now, some of you are like Tigger. Your personality, you're shaped like, I've never had a bad day. I wake up in the morning. Isn't it a great day? It's a wonderful day. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Oh, it's great. I'm happy. You happy? I'm happy. Oh, I'm cheery. I'm Tigger. I'm Tigger. I'm bouncing Tigger. Now, usually what happens is Tigger's marry these people. (laughs) Who's that? Eeyore. Oh, it's a terrible day. (laughs) Nothing's good. But this is what I want to say to all the Eeyores that are here today. 
probably 50% of us, so don't act like you're, no, you know, oh. This is what I want to say. Even Eeyores can be enthusiastic. Because the thing is, you don't have to be like Tigger. Believe me, we got enough Tiggers in this world. We don't need any more. Okay? But God does need the Eeyores who are in life to be able to say, even in my personality, if I'm more introverted, if I, use, if I process more than I speak, whatever that is, God can still use my faith in an enthusiastic way. Because sometimes, folks, what happens is we look at words and we don't understand them. Most of you probably, when I said enthusiasm, you thought of Tigger. Someone bouncing around, everything's great, everything's wonderful. They're changing the world. This is what the word means, folks. Enthusiasm comes from two Greek words. The first one is the word theos, which means God. And the second word comes from the word in, which means in. So enthusiasm literally means God within. And whether you're Tigger or whether you're Eeyore, you can have God within. And when you do, when God is within, you fulfill the purpose of your life with great enthusiasm. But the problem is, is that there are so many things that crowd into my life that keep me from being as enthusiastic as I could be. God within. I mean, I naturally gravitate towards overcrowded schedules. Anyone else? You just can put more in your schedule, more in your schedule. A full calendar. My smartphone goes off all the time. You've got ten minutes where you have to be here. Oh, gosh, you know. How many of you right now feel like you don't have enough time in your day to get everything that you need to get done by the end of the day? Raise your hand. Okay. About three quarters of us. The other quarter, you're so tired you can't even raise your hand right now. You know what I mean? Like you're like, ugh, I can't even raise it. You know what I mean? You see, the struggles for many of us is that we have no margin in our life. We have no space, no rest, no margin. We don't get enough sleep. We talked about that during this change series. If you're not sleeping in healthy ways, folks, you're not going to be the best that you can be. You don't eat right. You don't exercise. Your schedules, you fill to the max. I mean, every minute is full. And because of that, you get stressed, you get overwhelmed, you get frustrated. And we get so busy, this is what happens. We get so busy with the details in life. It's like the horse running on a racetrack. And they put the blinders on because they only want him to focus on this one thing. But the problem is when you do that, you miss the grandeur of everything that's around the track. And so for some of us, we've got to take the blinders off and say, I want perspective. And it's okay to say no. It's okay to have some margin. Enthusiasm comes from God, and it lasts a lot longer when it's God within than the bouncing tigger that's going all over the place. The Bible says this, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Folks, you get to choose how much you want God to bless your life. You get to choose how much. You get to choose what he wants to do in your family. You get to choose what you want him to do in your relationships. You get to choose about your job. You get to choose what you want him to do in your marriage, in church, in your finances. According to your faith, it will be done to you. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you believing God for? And you're like, 
Well, I've tried to believe Him before and these things just didn't work. Well, was it your will or was it God's will? Because this is what I found in my own particular life. I never give God enough time to speak into my life. And I fast forward to say, this is what I want. And then you go through months or uh, years. Sometimes people go through decades and they're totally disconnected from God. Why? Because they never had any margin just to say, I'm going to slow down so I can hear from you. Maybe it's a health goal. You want to lose some weight. You want to become more active in fitness. What is it that you're looking for so that you can be glorifying God and your family? Maybe it's your finances. You want to get out of debt. You're like, I'm just tired of debt. This season always uh, is interesting to me because people are like, I'm waiting on my tax check. I'm waiting on my tax check. Once I get that tax check, life is going to be great. You know how great it's going to be? It's going to be as great until your next tax check, which isn't going to be very long. Because you just use it all up. Now, for some of you, uh, I probably stepped on some toes right there, but I'm just saying what you want to do is start getting a budget, live your life, we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks, so that when you go through life, you're not that person going, I'm waiting for my tax check. You're the person saying, I'm waiting for it so I can be more generous with other people. I'm waiting for it so that we can take a family vacation. I'm waiting for it so that we can actually do something great for God's work. Is it a spiritual goal? Maybe it's to read the Bible more or to pray more. I think for some of you, it might be what's going to be taking place next week, which is our baptism class. Next week, we're having our baptism class. You can sign up today at the resource table. I'm giving you an out right now if you want. Get on your smartphone. Go to the jar.org, and you can sign up right now. I don't care. But for some of you, you've been holding back from taking that step because you don't want to take the risk, and you don't know if God will really bless or use what's in my life. God, let me just, or let me just say this about God. That when your faith starts increasing, God starts blessing your life. And when that happens, folks, I just want you to know that you become a target for others. Because as soon as God starts blessing your life, there are going to be people in your life that aren't going to like it. Because you upset the apple cart. We liked you a lot more when you were a mess. Because you felt like us. But once you start taking some steps and you start working in your life in different ways, all of a sudden, your life changes. And you think, wow, could this really be? Could God really change me? Let's look at this next uh, verse here. It says, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or whether they praise us. You see, folks, when you go through life, you always have people in the stands. And some people are great in the stands. And they're in the stands, they're waving at you, and they're clapping for you, and they're like, way to go, go for it, you know, giving you compliments. There's other people in the stands, they never clap for you, and every time they wave, they wave one finger, and they're not saying you're number one, okay? And God says, just don't listen to either. Don't get too focused with the criticism. Don't get too focused with 
the praise. Serve God whether people honor us or despise us. I can just guarantee, folks, that if you start making some changes in your life, you upset the apple cart. And do you know why friends and family and coworkers get ticked off sometimes? Because they're jealous. They want something in their life, but they haven't made that choice, and they'll tear you down because if they can get you down a rung, they, get a, they fill in their head. They get a climb up. So if you step out in faith, folks, you will be criticized. Folks, like I said before, God expects us to expect things from Him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith assures us of things we expect and convinces us of the existence of things we cannot see. This is where you simply come to God and you say, God, take over. Here's my goal. Here's my dream. Here's my reputation. You call the shots, God. I'll give it to you. I'm trusting you. You're in charge. I'm not. This happened to me when I was 24 years of age. I had uh, been pastoring even for about two years, but I just was kind of going through the motions. Pastors do that, just in case you wondered. Sometimes they do that too. And I was there. And I started thinking, am I really going to be a Christ follower? Going to take it seriously? Am I going to be a casual Christian? Was I going to be a convenience-oriented Christian? Was I going to be a once-a-week kind of Christian? Was I going to be the type of Christian who, you know, held back my money, but, you know, came to church every Sunday? And during this same period of time, I was, um, there was a popular bumper sticker that came out. This is what it was. It said, God is my co-pilot. And I remember looking at that going, man, that's great. I like, I like that bumper sticker. I'm driving, and God's sitting beside me, and things are going well, and He's helping me and encouraging me. This is good. And then I remember going to uh, an all-African-American church, and this black pastor stood up, and he asked the crowd, he goes, Hey, how many of you like that bumper sticker? God is my co-pilot. And the whole crowd was like, Yeah! Including me. You know, I'm like one of the few white hands. Like, Yeah! And then he stopped and he said, that is the dumbest thing you could ever put on your car. And it was like total silence. Like no one said anything. And then he said this. I remember writing it down. The reality is God is not the co-pilot. He is the only pilot. And I don't care if I have to sit in coach class or cargo or a wheelchair. If I'm in the plane, in his plan, I'm fine. Because he's the pilot and I'm not. He's in the front seat and I'm in the back seat. He's in the front seat, the only seat that chooses what happens, and I'm in the back seat. And I want him in the front seat because I do much better when I'm sitting in the back seat. Now this morning, if I would have said that in an African American predominantly church, I would have got a lot more response than what I got from many of you today, okay? Because Jesus is the pilot. He doesn't need me in the front seat of his plane. And I remember on that day after that teaching, I was like, 
Jesus, you are the pilot. I'm not. You're in the front seat. I'm in the back seat. Jesus, whatever you want to do with my life, God, I'm saying right here, right now, it's yours. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever or have you lately said, Jesus, you take the will of my life. You fly the plane. Here's the last thing. Faith is never giving up. Faith is never giving up. The Bible says this. Let's read this scripture out loud together. Be brave. That means all of us, just in case you were wondering. Uh, Let's read this out loud. Be brave. Be strong. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. Let's read it again. Be brave. Be strong. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. You see, God brought some of you here today just to hear those words. Not to hear me, but to hear His words. Because the reality is, some of you are on the verge of giving up. Give up on your health goals, your financial goals, your spiritual goals. Maybe you're thinking about giving up on your marriage. Giving up on your kids. Giving up on your faith in God. And God is saying, be brave, be strong, don't give up. You see, folks, the reality is this. That some of you aren't giving up, but you're just coasting. You're coasting in your faith. You're not expecting God to do anything. And there are many times, folks, when you're coasting... When you're coasting, what's the reality? You're going downhill. You don't see people going coasting uphill. Oh, it's great. God's doing wonderful things in my life. I'm just coasting uphill. No. But when you're coasting, you're going downhill. And the secret to all of this is the reason why many of us coast is because we're listening to everyone else rather than what God thinks of us. We have to outlast our critics. Psalm 118, 109 says this, My life hangs in the balance. Some of you this morning, you know what that means. Some of you feel like that right now. My life hangs in the balance, but I will not give up obedience to your word. If we were to take a survey today, some of you feel like that. You feel like your life's in the balance. My finances are in the toilet. My job, I'm hanging on by a thin thread. My marriage is coming apart. My relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, it isn't working out. I'm having conflict with my parents. I'm having conflict with my kids. I'm dealing with an illness. My life is hanging in the balance. But regardless of the circumstances, I want to encourage you to be a person of faith who says, but I will not give up obedience to your word. I will stay connected to you, God, even though I don't see the answers right now. Scripture says this, even if, a good, even if good people fall seven times, they will get back up. I love this verse because it says, even if good people fall down. It doesn't say if bad people fall down. It says even people who are good. You're good. You do good things. You're working on your job. 
But even you fall down. We all make mistakes. We all flub up, mess up, and screw up in this thing called life. But the key is, is that we get back up. Good people get back up. You see, it's not a sin to fall. It's a sin to be a victim and to wimp out and say, I'll just stay down here. As many of you know, earlier this year I made a commitment that I was going to try to eat healthier. That I couldn't just depend upon exercise all the time if I need to make some changes. And so I started making a commitment to eat one vegetable and one fruit each day. And I did pretty good in January, not too bad in February, but last Friday I didn't eat any vegetable or fruit whatsoever. I mean, that is unless you count four slices of pizza and five chocolate chip cookies as fruits and vegetables. Wouldn't that be great? Like you could say, I had my fruit today, four slices of pizza, you know. Or, hey, I had my veggies today, chocolate. Wouldn't it be great? We should like, we could create something, maybe put it out on the web. Everyone would believe it, you know, because everything that's on the web is true, right? Chocolate's the new vegetable, you know. Well, luckily, I have a guy in my small group. He sends me a text to hold me accountable every single day. And he said, did you eat your fruit and veggies today? And I had to tell him no. But the next day when I got up, I wasn't like, oh, man. I got up and I was like, you know what? Get a banana this morning. We can get that in. And later that night, we can do some mixed vegetables. And we got that in. Folks, we're all going to fall. But when you fall, don't let it last for longer than 24 hours. That's why Scripture says over and over again, don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't let the sun... Why? Because God doesn't want you going in the next day carrying all that stuff. Failure is never final. Failure is only final when you decide to quit. I hear this all the time, though, when it comes to baptism. People will make... uh, Comments all the time. They're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough to get baptized. Yeah, you're right. Um, well, once I get my life all together, then I'll get baptized. Folks, if I would have waited until I got my life all together to get baptized, guess what? I would have never got baptized. I would have never made that commitment to Christ. The reason why some of you need to take that class next week is not so you can go, oh, I got baptized. It's so you can say, God, you take my life, and I'm going to trust you to put the pieces together, and things will change in your life. It does. It changes. Change lives all around you. There are changed lives in some of the rows that you're sitting in. Why? Because they got baptized? No, because they made a commitment to say, God, I want you center of my life. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Jesus says just keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Folks, there are many things in your life that you can't control right now. But there's one thing that you have 100% control over, and it's this. How much faith do you put in God? How much do you believe in God? Do you expect Him to act? Do you choose to take risks? Do you choose never to give up? You know, one of the things that probably stands in people's way more than anything else on not being able to grow in their faith is a three-letter word that 
is thrown out a lot, but it's true, and that's sin. Sin is simply anything that separates you from God. I don't know what yours are. I know what mine are. And the remedy for sin is repentance. That's a biblical understanding of just true confession. This is what the word means. Re means to turn back. And pent means that which is highest, like a penthouse. So when a person repents, they turn back to God to the highest way of living. They turn away from the lowest way of living. And the reason why many of us never repent is because we want to cover things up. We want to hide things. We want to deny that they ever existed. I do it all the time. And that's okay for the short, room, short term. It just doesn't do very well for the long term. And so Scripture says this, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them, they find mercy. God cannot give blessings to any of us if we continue to be bogged down into sin. But when we repent and when we confess, God says, I can give you an extraordinary faith. This way we're going to close today. There's a passage of scripture. It's actually a prayer. And we're just going to leave it up here. And I'd like you to read it and think about it yourself. And this is a scripture that I use almost every single day. And in particular, at the end of it, it says, And God, if I've done anything wrong, and I'll just pause and I'll say, God, show me what I've done wrong. And whatever he said, then I confess that. I repent. I go, God, I want to change in that way. And for some of you, your next breakthrough of God moving in your life is simply because you haven't done that recently. And so what I'd like you to do is take a moment for you to cross-examine your life. And whatever it is that's separating you from God, that you'd confess that, you'd give it to Him. And then today we're celebrating communion, which is great because that's what it means, that we confess our sin and we take off the piece of the bread and we dip it into the juice and we receive His forgiveness in our life. And these aren't the jars tables. These are Jesus' tables. And he says, whatever that's separating you from me, could you just let that go and then come to me and be and remember, I'm the one who went to the cross and died for all sins. And folks, this is what I found. When you do that, then your faith gets strengthened. So I'd like you to take a moment to uh, look at that. Anything that's separating you from God, you do business with God. And then once you confess that, you can go to any of these tables. And then we'll come back and talk about how God can now give us faith because we're clean in Him to carry on the call He has on our life. Let's pray. So God, now we ask that you come through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you reveal to us anything that offends you? Any wrong in our life? Holy Spirit, you do it. Help us to hear from you. 
sin so that we might receive the awesome power 